Welcome. Now, my name is D. Ludlow. Now, before we get into this episode, go to the description, click the link and get your M&A Mastery Toolkit. This is a free download, which gives you some of the tools and resources that you need to start your M&A journey. Don't forget, go to the description, click the link. It's a free download and enjoy the episode. Hi, and welcome to the Ludlow Street Podcast, where we interview aspiring entrepreneurs who thrive off innovation. We look at how different walks in life have similar journeys, similar obstacles, but all have different whys. Now, on to today's episode. Here's your host, D. Ludlow. Welcome back to the Ludlow Street Podcast. This is now episode six. Today we have another special guest. This guest already has her own great podcast called the J2 Podcast. I've been looking forward to this episode. Uh, today's guest is James Sahota. So, hi, James. Uh, hope you're enjoying self-isolation as much as I am. <laughs> I, I am, yeah. Thanks for having me, Dee. Thank you very much. Uh, it's the first time I've been interviewed for a podcast, so you beat everyone to it. Oh, yeah, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm the first. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, I don't know. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing. Okay, so um, currently I'm, um, I'm full-time in property. Uh, obviously, I run the podcast as well. The podcast is a J2Hub podcast. It's, uh, it's more of a... A way of just giving back, really. I don't, I don't earn nothing from it. Uh, there's no, uh, there's no th- anything behind it to try and generate anything. It's all just about um, trying to pump back as much information as I can to to people that want to hear it, and you know, try and teach people some of the mistakes I made and not to make the same mistakes. Uh, but in terms of uh, what I do myself, yeah, I'm in full time, full time property now. Yeah, that sounds good. So before we get into property, um, what did you do before property? Well, before property, D, I had um, uh, I started my own print firm, which I had for 11 years. Um, it kind of started as a, as a small business alongside a job. I just kind of, I wanted to just, like, you know, when you start your first job, uh, which ironically enough, I was a, I'm actually a trained teacher. So I was a teacher in a high school. And uh, alongside, I just wanted to earn some extra money, you know, just uh, get down the, you know, get out on the weekends, earn some extra cash. So I started selling these really small pictures on eBay. Had a small A3 printer at home and started selling pictures on eBay uh, from a tiny little bedroom. And then uh, from there, I kind of bought a bigger machine and I bought a bigger machine. And then within about six months, it got to the point where I was making what I'd make in a year in teaching for an online business. And I was like what the hell man this was only supposed to be a business that earned me some extra money and it got to the point where I'm, I'm earning you know, tens of thousands of pounds from this business and I'm thinking what I only wanted to earn like five six hundred quid extra so it became an actual serious business and then over the years it kind of grew um, and then we moved into our first well I went from my bedroom down to my dining room and then from my dining room I went into my front room and then um Kind of few months before I got married, I thought, you know what, this needs to stop. I can't just keep working from home. As good as it was, I mean, I had packaging supplies arriving, I had pallets arriving on my front on my front door in a residential area, and people were like, "What the hell is this kid doing?" Um, <laughs> so we we moved over to an industrial unit, and um, just literally had year on year growth, and um, I just I just pumped all the money back in. We bought bigger machines, we got bigger contracts, and. You know, before you knew it, we're we're five years in and the business is growing. Every year the turnover is going up. Every year we're investing in new kit. And for me, it's um, 
print has always been a, a traditionally it's been quite a you know like an old 56 year old english man and it's always been a you know an Englishman's game, and when I came along, it was just like, "Well, like, who is this guy, man? He's just come along on the scene. He's rocking a boat. He's investing in all this kit, and he's just doing all kinds of stuff." So five years in, we decided to diversify a little bit. We went into signage as well in exhibition stands, um, and we bought some serious kit. You know, I'm talking. Our first big purchase was probably a hundred thousand pounds. And then our last purchase before we uh, before the firm finished was six hundred thousand pounds. So it was some big big figures. And our last industrial unit was huge. It was you know twenty thousand square foot. We're printing for the likes of Guinness. We're doing stuff for Microsoft. We're doing stuff for Facebook. And you know I shit you not, D. I used to leave the unit of an evening and I'd walk around the place just making sure everything was locked up. And I used to think to myself, how the hell did this happen? How did it go from a small bedroom business up to what you know one of the guys that we were trusted we were trusted by big brands and big agencies were using us and still to this day I look back and I think damn how did that happen how did it get to there I, you know I never I never thought it would I you know I'm not I didn't know about business it was just buy it sell it see what happens and I just happened to be selling a lot of it and investing and bringing out new products and people were just buying them so I was kind of like I don't claim to know it all because at the time I knew shit I was just thinking you know it was a bit of a fluke if I'm honest with you but it just happened to grow into a a, a real 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 decent business so uh yeah so that's what I was predominantly doing before property and um you know it was good it allowed me to have all the things I wanted I bought some nice exotic cars from it um not that I ever drove them because I was just always, always working in the business. You know the old saying to work on your business? You know, James was the mug that used to wake up at two o'clock in the morning and go in and print stuff because, um, you know, it's just the kind of person I was, just hands-on getting in there and doing what I needed to do. Um, so, but sadly, um, after 11 years, I um, it's funny enough, it was actually two years ago at this time, I got really, really ill. Um, develop pneumonia and it's ironic that I had a bit of a lung infection because right now with, with what's going on with COVID-19 and stuff and I'm thinking to myself shit and it's the very room here that I was kind of resting in two years ago and uh, during that time um, we had one of our biggest exhibitions on and you know we lost we lost some clients because I wasn't there and because I had the business so badly set up in terms of staff cool if I wasn't there, things were falling apart. People weren't doing what they wanted to do. So bottom line was we lost uh, three quarters of a million pounds worth of work in three months, just just like that, of a click of a finger, because we messed the... I look back now, and at the time I was blaming everybody but myself, but it was ultimately it was my fault because the client wasn't serviced properly enough. Um, so we lost that contract, and, and what it meant was I could not... I'm looking at the cash flow... And this business was costing me somewhere in the region of about 65 grand a month to operate before I made a penny for myself. And I'm trying to forecast it past three months thinking, I'm not going to get through this. I'm not going to survive. So rather than hang on and do the thing that most people will do is leave it right to the end minute and try and squeeze everything out. And when it gets really, really painful, I made the heartbreaking decision just to turn around and say, look, I'm going to go into voluntary liquidation. And... Um, it was around this time that I did it. So I, I officially asked for voluntary liquidation around this time. 
Um, good thing was we didn't owe people masses of money. Um, we were able to sell off kit. Yeah, it personally affected me. I lost most things that I had at the time. I was lucky not to be homeless. But um, I look back now and I think, ultimately, that business going under was my fault. I had the wrong team. I had the wrong training. I had the wrong education. And I don't claim to be a businessman at that time because I didn't know what was going on. So pretty much that's what I was doing before property. Um, and alongside the print business, I was always dabbling in property. So I was, I'd buy something, renovate it, sell it. And I look back now, over those 11 years, although I had the nice things, I could go out and buy the nice cars and all that stuff, all the fancy stuff. But if I look back, I actually only made all my real money through the property deals that I was doing. Because everything was just cash flowing. It was just money coming in, money going out. And it's easy to have a £150,000 car when your company's paying for it, you know, because you just don't even think about it. It's just, it's gone, it's in, it's out. So um, so when the business went under, it was actually my wife who said to me, she goes, look, James, you need to pull yourself together, man, because you can't be doing this shit, you know. Because about, for about three weeks, I was, I ain't going to lie, I was just uh, waking up most mornings and I was 11 o'clock in the pub. And I was just drinking all day long, you know. It was uh, it was my way of just numbing the pain and trying to make this thing go away. And obviously with alcohol, yeah, it will relax you for a while. But then you, you just end up getting more emotional during the day, you know. So having two young kids, I just thought, I, I've got to snap out of this and I've got to snap out of it hard. So support of my wife being there and stuff. And she said to me, look, you know, you own this little plot of land that you've bought. You've not done anything with it. She goes, why don't you just go full steam ahead and build on it? So we set up a company together. She invested some of her funds into it. And uh, that's where the full-time property started. Well, that sounds like a mad story. <laughs> i got a few questions for you. Yeah, yeah fire that. away, man. <laughs> uh, firstly, uh, what did you learn from, obviously you were thrown at the deep end. Uh, you were struggling on the job, you had to learn on the job, uh, how to run a business, etc. coming from a teaching background. Um, what do you think you learned most from when the business went into sort of liquidation? I think the biggest thing I learned there was, um, I think when you're in business, you got to drop your ego. You know, there was a massive ego there, I ain't going to lie, because when you have the nice things, you just you think you're untouchable. There was a huge ego, and there was an ego for not wanting to learn. Um, now, the funny thing is, six to, six to eight months before we went into liquidation, I actually looked at doing some business coaching with a really good business coach. And um, I didn't take him up on it, because again, being arrogant, I thought, oh, fuck that, I know what, I can do this. I'm the one making the money, what is he going to teach me? Funny thing is, after the liquidation, I actually took him up on his offer and I went for business coaching. You know, most people would have the business coaching before the business goes under. James did it the other way around. The business went under and then he went off and got some coaching. So I sat there in the first coaching session for an hour. I remember it being a free coaching session. And I sat there in dead silence, just listening to what this guy is saying. At the end of it, he goes to me, James, he goes, you look quite emotional. I said... I look emotional because everything you've just said in 45 minutes, had I heard that a few months ago, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today. Now, the guys that I went off for coaching with was Action Coaching and the guys called Parag, really, really good coach here in London. And um, they've got a very, you know, the, the Action Coaching is run by Brad Sugars over in uh, Australia. So Brad, you know, very, very well known, very, well good author, loads and loads of uh, business books out there. 
it was a very, very structured course. Now, if I could go back, what I should have really done is I should have got that coaching maybe five, six years into the business or even when I started it because it teaches you so much stuff. It teaches you about the structure of your staffing, how you recruit, um, you know, how you set up cash flows, how you cash flow. You know, you look at how many sales you need to make that cash flow, you know. Whereas for me, it was just like, I'm pissing in the wind. I'm thinking, shit, I need more money. What do I do? I know what I do. I'll get out there. I'll go around. I'll talk to people. The one skill I had was I wasn't afraid to talk to anybody. So I could rock up on someone's door, knock on the door. And within five or 10 minutes, I could generally get a good rapport with them. And I could I could secure them for business. But that's not what you do. You know, I, I should have had forecasting. I should have had cash flow plans. I should have known how many sales I need each month rather than thinking, Oh, you know what? I'll look at the bank balance. Oh, we're running a little bit low. I know. Let me panic and go out and get some sales or start chasing people, you know. And uh, even even 11 years in, I, I would say I, I was there was a lot of luck. There was a lot of hard work. But the lesson I learned through liquidation is if there's someone who's trying to teach you something or if there's someone who's trying to give you a little bit of training, take it because their trait, I've realised... Coaching and training, if you get the right coach or the right mentor, they've actually put a very structured plan together. And one thing a very a good coach will do is he will go off and measure how successful his training is. And one thing Parag did at Action Coaching was he actually went off and did that. You know, he was able to say that he's able to improve businesses by 38%. Actually, it was 38.3%. And you, you think about it, you think, damn, this guy's really set some high KPIs. He's gone away and he's analysed everything. And he's not just talking shit like some of the trainers will or some of the coaches. This is real reinforced information. So biggest lesson I learned from there is get the right training. I I, I honestly believe it was, it was all my fault because I had the wrong training. I can't blame my staff for messing jobs up because staff do that. But biggest lesson, get the right training and make sure, you know... You, you gotta teach. You gotta treat your business seriously. You know, when it gets to that kind of scale, you gotta get some help, and um, you can end up you can end up very quickly hating your business, even when it's doing really well, because you just don't know what to do when these bad times come. So, yeah, lesson learned. So, even though it didn't end how you wanted it, it sounds like it was a great experience to go through anyway, because you there's so many things you did learn from it um, to put into now property and wherever you're going now all your goals going for you've got a lot lot to take from that but let's go back a little bit to the cars yeah <laughs> what cars so for me i was always uh i've always been a porsche fan so i remember when i was um i think i always said to myself i wanted to buy a, a, a 911 before i turned 30 that was like a goal back then now, considering when, when I turned 38 years ago, it was a lot harder to buy these cars back then. So I remember I'm in the unit one evening and I'm working and I'm thinking, shit, I turned 30 in four days' time. And this was one of my goals. So this is a funny story, actually, because I, I remember the following, what, what yeah, that evening, I'm on I'm on the, uh, Porsche's website, Porsche East London, which was my local Porsche. I'm on there and I'm looking down the list and I see this car, exact spec I wanted, massive fan of white. It's always, every car I've owned has pretty much been white all the time. I see this 911 Carrera S and I'm thinking, that's the one. First thing in the morning, and I ring the guy up and I said, look, I want to come and have a look at this car. And uh, he goes, yeah, come and have a look. Um, so I went down there and 
you got to remember, I'm in workwear, so I'm in shorts. I've got some, I think I had some stupid Crocs on. I'm covered in ink. And you, if you saw me, you'd think, who is this roadman? This, this guy ain't going to buy shit. So I walk into this dealership, and they're a bit poncy in there, you know. It's a London dealership. I walk in, the guys are just serving everyone, and this one guy comes over to me, and he goes to me, he goes, can I help you, sir? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can. But I asked him first of all, I go, why is it that you've ignored, why is it that everybody's kind of just ignored me or shrugged me off? He goes... I don't know. He goes, but I've been in this a long time. He goes, and let me tell you something. When someone rocks in at 11 o'clock in the morning wearing workwear, they're a very, very busy person. They've taken time out to be here to come and have a look at the car. I remember when he said that. And uh, so he shows me around this car. He gets the deal. I signed for it. I was going to buy it regardless. And then uh, he turns around and says to the younger guys, he goes, let me tell you boys something. Never judge a book by its cover because the person who looks the worst is the one who's actually going to do business with you. The guy who comes in looking all sharp with a suit, looking all crisp, he ain't going to do fuck all with you. You know, so <laughs> it was a it was a great experience. And after that, I got known in the dealership. I was known for just haggling. So that was my first one that I bought. And then uh, immediately after that, I had the 911 bug. So after the Carrera S, I went for a, a GT GTS I then went for a, another GTS, a newer one, and it had this big, massive wing on it and all sorts, and had a GT3, and then a McCann. And these were these were like my fun cars, you know, but alongside it, I always had like a top-of-the-range BM or a Mercedes as my everyday car. So cars were always something that I wanted. But the ironic thing is, because my business was so badly structured in terms of staffing, I could never walk away from it. So... Every time I owned a Porsche, I might do a thousand miles in a year on it. I'll pull it out on a weekend, use it, whiz around, put some fuel in it and pop it back in the garage. So it was never something that I really, really, really enjoyed as much as I should have. But getting back to your question, yeah, it was always 911s for me and it's always been 911s. So yeah, favourite car. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it was pretty awesome, man, yeah. Good story as well. But yeah, so... I recently seen the new build you posted on your Instagram. Uh, it looks amazing. So anyone who follows you, and we can tell them your Instagram at the end of the podcast, but the new build looks phenomenal. So is that like the first new build you've done? It certainly is, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been involved in major renovations, back-to-brick renovations, but this was the first, um, the first new build. Now, um, when I bought that plot of land, it was actually my friend, me and my friend Jonathan. We were working together at the time. Uh, me and Jonathan still work together in the sense Jonathan runs a wealth management firm, top guy. So we bought it together. Um, but then when my wife came on board, she bought his share out. So we built it together. Now, um, that was another interesting one. Now, James being James very much likes to just go ahead and do stuff. And I learned a lot of lessons with that. Now, number one, the first thing I learned on that project was don't employ a builder who's your mate. Don't ever employ someone who's your friend because I got fucked for the sum of, I think, around £63,000 and I still haven't seen a penny of it and I still I never will see a penny of it. But at the time of working with this builder who was a so-called mate, I haven't really called him out. I'm going to call him out one time on a podcast, actually, but I want to do it properly. But that was the first massive expensive lesson that I learned. I just thought, you know what, let me hand this project over to the guy. He's built houses. He's built extensions. I'm sure he can take care of this. Now... This building was part submerged in the ground, so it's half a metre in the ground, so it's part basement. 
Now, I never really, I just trusted him. I'm quite an open guy. I just trusted him. I thought, you know, well, get on with it. Let's see what you can do. So they've done the foundations and all this. I turn up on, actually, I didn't even turn up on site. The neighbour rings me. He goes, James, he goes, I'm an architect. I've looked at your plans and this guy is building this building too high. I go, what do you mean he's building it too high? He goes, he hasn't started at the right ground level. So I turn up on site. They started it. Now, granted, they're almost up to the first floor. They've started building the building from ground level up when it should have been excavated about 1.2 metres down, membrane put in, and then you start building it up. And I just thought to myself, oh, my God, what the fuck have I got into here? And he's, he's had all this money off me at this stage. And I'm thinking, shit, what am I going to do, man? I just about had enough money to finish this project. So I thought, that's it. I need to... I kind of spoke to him. I said, look, can you do this? Can you do this? And I just got that old that old line that you get. Yeah, brother, I can do this, brother. Me and you, brother. And I'm thinking to myself, you ain't my brother no more. You can go fuck yourself. We ain't brothers. We ain't friends. We ain't nothing. So we went through this whole works plan. Actually, you know what? I didn't even have a works plan at this stage. This is how stupid it was. I did have no, no kind of scale um, uh, plan of works or anything. So dropped everything. I said to him, look, just pay me back half the money and we'll call it quits. He tried to say to me he spent way more than 65 grand and I just thought, you know what, I could ponder on this for a long, long time. I started the legal procedure to take him to court. I had a private investigator do some stuff for me and he found out that he's full of CCJs. He doesn't own anything. So I thought, look, James, you got to bite your bottom lip here. Two things are going to happen. You can either beat yourself up over this and it's going to put you in a downward spiral or you take it on the chin and you just carry on, you know. So we terminated any contracts with him. We stopped working with him. Now, I hadn't even told my wife about this, and she's my she's an equal partner in our company, so she don't know what's going on at this stage. And I couldn't tell her because I'm thinking, fuck, man, I've just gone through liquidation. I've got the banks chasing me for X amount of money. I've just about got enough funds from her to finish this build off. I thought, fuck, what am I going to do? So... Luckily for me, I was I was able to raise some funds um, elsewhere for another property that we owned. Um, got some funds together, and uh, this time actually did a proper a work schedule, a proper contract, and we found a found a really really good Hungarian team that came on board um, and and carried out the build. Now before the build started, we worked with a really good architect who's supposed to be award winning. Some some guy up in London. I, again, I'm not going to name him because he just turned out to be a right arsehole. I find with architects, um, they seem to have problems managing their cash flow. Like, hugely. They'll take projects on and they just want to get paid for them. As soon as they've got paid for them, they're not really interested anymore. Granted to the guy, he got this site through planning. Because when we bought the site, it had no planning on it. It was a site that was... Uh, a guy owned it and he put planning in... 12 times in 11 years and it was rejected now we bought it off with me and jonathan employed a good architect and he got us planning within six months so you can imagine how this guy felt thinking and he keep come up to us he goes you guys fucked me over you knew something and we're like listen we didn't know nothing we just we just read the council documents and did what they asked us to do you know it, it says clearly do this do this do this do this and we'll give you planning permission you obviously try to do that that and that and they keep rejecting you so we got the planning on it. Um, started the build with the Hungarian guys. They they were fantastic. I'm not going to fault them, man. This uh, big dude, he must have been about six foot seven, about 30 stone. Big, fat dude he was. 
and he never really he never we never really had much of a communication or conversation it was always just like yes bear me or stuff like that like very limited but he came so highly recommended uh, recommended from 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 a lot of other people that had used him um so the build went really really well with him everything was good uh, right until you get to the end you know one month before you're supposed to finish he's run out of money you know so we had a we had a fee with him where we we're just paying him i think five or six grand a week we were paying him and he gets to the end and he's like man I've, I've got no money and it's like what do you mean he goes i go well that's your problem and he's like uh, no your problem because you need to finish i'm thinking what the fuck am i getting screwed again here so i'm there thinking oh man what am i gonna do so in the end we came to some kind of agreement where I said to him, look, okay, I'll cover some extra for you. Because we know, we did, to be honest with you, we beat him up on the price quite hard. Probably 10 grand less than it should have been. And that's what we ended up having to pay him in the end anyway. So it didn't really work out. But So we got it finished. One month before he's about to hand over to us, he goes bankrupt. Now, it's not, it wasn't his fault that he went bankrupt. Well, it was because there was an old job that he didn't get paid for. And the account was with Juicens, and Juicens took him to court and forced him to go into bankruptcy. Now, that kind of worked really well in my favour because I ended up finishing the house off myself. So the last four weeks, my hands here laid down paving, put on skirting boards, did doors and all sorts. So I actually I spent time there myself finishing it all off. And when he went into when he went in uh, to liquidation, um, he's like, "Oh, can I get paid?" I said, "Yeah, give me your administrator's details because I've got to pay your liquidator. I can't pay you." I'm thinking, "You tried to fuck me halfway through. It's it's wicked how karma works right at the end because now I don't have to pay you." But then, off the back of that, once the house was all finished, I did get a leak in one of the walls, so it ended up costing me what I would have had to pay him anyway. So. It's almost as if he like kind of left a secret little repair for me. But that project was fantastic, man. It was a real labour of love with that one. I um I really went to town with it. Didn't you know we didn't skimp on anything, you know, we, we put a it, it's a very small one build two story house. We put a very expensive kitchen in a small space. Um really, really nice windows that came from Germany, bifold doors that just completely open out, no pillars. Um, it had a full uh, audio system throughout the house, uh, visual system, so you could sound, sound zones right the way throughout the house, uh, underfloor heating, everything controlled from an app. Really, really, really went to town with that one. And uh, it worked out nice for us in the end because the market grew as well. So any loss that we had, we made back in the London growth market. Um, and when we finished, it, um, it valued up way, way higher than we thought it was going to value up. You know, we had this, um, the surveyor come down on, it was actually Christmas Eve to 2019, and he was there literally three minutes. He said, oh, this looks nice. Gave him a nice little pack because we produced a nice little printed book. And he's like, oh, what? Is all the information in here? And he looked at it and he goes, like, how much do you need me to value this at? I said, well, I said 500, but 525 would be nice. And uh, he goes, yeah, no worries. He goes, can I use your toilet? He used the toilet. And off he went. Hours later, we had the valuation exactly where we needed it. And the best thing is, it um, when it came to the rental valuation, it beat every other one-bedroom house in the area by 200 quid. And we get £1,650 rent for that, 
whereas everybody else is getting a 13 1400 so it was a real real nice story and one that I think your listeners will love is that was literally a no money in deal because when we refinanced that not only did we pull all our money back out but we had an extra 35 grand on top of it so that was just you know for all the pain you go through I think that was just the fucking icing on the cake when that came through I was literally dancing up and down I was so so happy I still haven't shared these figures I put a post up where I'm going to share these figures out on social but it was like the phoenix rising again you know I still remember getting home and having a few beers and thinking you done it James you fucking pulled it off so yeah that was a new build but yeah to be honest it looks phenomenal like, even though all the challenges you sound like you had you know no property deal is straightforward anyway <laughs> like it looks all glamorous online but I don't know any deal that goes entirely to plan but yeah so like you mentioned you put the ceiling price on both the valuation and the rent again that's amazing was that something that you you aimed to do at the start or was that just an added bonus no mate I'll be to- totally honest with you there was times when I was sitting there and it got quite emotional I'm thinking fuck I'm gonna lose money on this I'm not gonna make it you know there was times I thought, you know what, I'm going to stick this through auction. I'm just going to give up. But just when it all came together, I was just, I was just shocked. I was literally just like, you know, I didn't even plan for it. I thought if I get a valuation of four hundred and fifty thousand or four hundred and thirty thousand, I'm happy, you know. But to get kind of um, five hundred or five two five, and then have someone who wanted to buy it from us, but we we decided to keep it because. Why wouldn't you keep it when you can pull your money and some out of it? Um, yeah, there was there was no kind of there was no kind of like yes, I want to get this, I want to get this. There was a lot of just pissing in the wind and hoping. It might look very nicely planned, but I can tell you it was a uh, fag packet sketches and lots of sums just done on the back of a bit of paper and no no fancy spreadsheets going on here. Yeah, nah, it it worked out, mate. It, look, it looks wicked, to be honest. Like, oh, thank you, listeners. You know, I hope they 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 go and check the Instagram because it, it's, it's a work of art. But yeah, I like to see you do some more new builds in the future as well. I hope that's the plan. But yeah, yeah. do you know what? It's it's funny you say that because we've just uh, we literally lost a plot of land in London. Um, again, solicitor taking his time to do his things, and the buyer just sold it to someone else. That would have been a really nice one because that was up on the. Up on the hills, and it overlooks the whole of London, so that would have been a really, really nice build. But to be honest with you, mate, with everything going on at the moment, I'm kind of thinking to myself, maybe that was a little blessing in disguise, you know, pulling out of that one or, or the solicitor messing it up because we would have had every bit of money tied up in it. Yeah, especially what's going on now, you, you can't be too certain, really. But we will, we will get on to. Uh... COVID-19 at some point, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. so what's uh, your biggest win to date as an entrepreneur, would you say? My biggest win today? Oh, do you know what? I think, I think it would probably be going back to that new build, whereas it got valued so high and we walked away with money. You know, I never, ever thought that would happen. And especially when you look at all the challenges, like the architect being a dick, the builder screwing us for money, our new builder going into liquidation and even with all those negative factors it still it still overvalued well it broke the ceiling and it valued so high it was rented within 12 hours of being on the market and i just think that i look back now and i think that was a fucking huge win so i think yeah, yeah i'd go back and say all those times i wanted to give up with it 
I just had to keep my brain strong and just mentally get through it, you know? Trying to get to site. I only live 14 miles away from site. Because I live in London, it used to take me two hours at five o'clock in the morning to get to site, you know? And you're sitting there and you're thinking, four hours of travel every single day, and then you've got to get a day's worth of grafting. There was many times where I nearly gave up on it. So I'll always say, you know, the, the toughest times are, are the ones that are going to test you, but they're, they're not there to stay. They pass and... You know, you get some positives from it and you have a great win. So, talking about testing times, um, what would you say has been your most testing experience to date? I think my most testing experience has probably been um, where I lost where I lost the print firm and that small transition period in between print and going into property full-time because... That was a real testing time in terms of um, there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of soul searching for myself. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of self evaluation. I spent a lot of time going back and looking at myself as a person and thinking, right, you know, I need to change this. I need to change that. I need to work on this. I need to develop my mindset a little bit more differently. Um, so I would say that that period of about it was probably about six probably about six months to a year was a real kind of soul searching experience trying to find find myself again and kind of after like I say to everyone when I had that business that business was my baby that business was my baby before I met my wife it was my baby before I had my actual babies you know it was something that I loved you know it was I lived it I breathed it it was just everything I did so yeah that was a that was my most testing time I would say to date. So, what would you say has been your most worthwhile investment that you've ever made? It could be, you know, money, time, education, and something. So, yeah. I think. Um, I think right now I've, I've just, I would say coaching, investing into coaching, especially uh, with action coaching. In London with Parag, that was very, very worthwhile because it really opened up my eyes to the sense of thinking, okay, there are some really good trainers out there. There's some really good mentors out there. Um, so that was a very, very worthwhile investment for me. And even now, like people say to me, like, you know, I've, I've done a few properties. I've got a few HMOs. I've done some renovation work. I've done new builds. So I've got a vast array of experience. But people still say to me, James, why are you... St- why do you have a mentor? Why are you still coaching? You know, I'm still coaching because I don't claim to know everything. So most recently, I've just uh, I've I've started coaching with Susanna Cole um, from the Good Property Company. Now I was I spent a lot of time trying to find a mentor, someone that I wanted to work with, and someone who wasn't just wank and just a load of shit. Because there's a lot of them out there that are like that. You know, there's no substance behind it. Now, um, me and Susanna, we've known each other for a while. I spent a lot of time talking to her. And uh, it just, it just, there was a really, really good feeling about the training. I love the fact that she's a woman. I love the fact that she's, uh, you know, she's got an MBA, so she's not thick. She's got a huge portfolio of herself. And any background check you do on the lady, you know, she's got a solid balance sheet. So you think to yourself, let me go and look at another mentor who are just posting losses. And I think, no, that's bullshit. You want me to come and spend X amount with you? when you're posting losses i want to work with the real deal and i would say within a week of being on a mentorship program it straight away you know i've been on probably the first week i spent probably four or five hours on coaching calls with her 
uh, and other people and uh, it's a very very worthwhile investment just having having that person there to go back to and having the curriculum that she's created of training okay there's a lot of stuff that I know but I'm looking at it and thinking actually she's put a lot of stuff in here that will save me hours and hours and months and stuff of liaising with solicitors when I need this agreement when I need that agreement now I know there's a lot of people out there that say you know you can meet up with someone for a coffee and you can do this and you can have a bit of one-to-one time but I think when you're sitting there at three o'clock in the morning and you need some information you can log on to our portal that we have with her and nine times out of ten you're going to find that information that's just it's, it's worth its weight in gold so I say my biggest investment has been coaching mentoring and training so it took you you said you took time finding the right coach the right mentor um what's your thoughts on other property education um i don't you know i don't diss it but i think there's a lot of sharks out there now my my thinking is why why do you need to be selling a course if you're doing so well in property you know, whereas I think with the coach that I've gone to, she's doing so well in property and she's doing so well in training. So she's got two very level businesses. In fact, they still regularly do a lot of deals. And when they're not doing training, they're doing deals. But I think there's a lot of people out there, there's a lot of sharks out there that get you, especially when you're new, when you're, you know, I meet a lot of people at networking events that are young, 22, 23, 24. And one guy was like, oh, James, I did the I did the three and a half thousand pound course with uh, Samuel Leeds and it was great. And then 10 minutes later, <laughs> someone's in the event just cussing Samuel Leeds. You know, I think not that he's, yeah, I'm sure there's value that he offers, but he's just been in the press recently. That's just one that I can think about. But I think you need to do your homework. Really, you do need to do your homework. And if you're a if you're a newbie starting, there's some there's some great information out there. You know, I, I highly recommend Tedge's podcast. You know, excellent podcast. You can pick up a lot of information from there. Um, there's some great great books that you can read to start with. And I would say any trainer or mentor that pressurizes you into buying from them, walk away from them. You know, just walk away from them. Whereas with my mentor, I've known her for a long time. And never has she once said to me, when you signing up, James? When you signing up? Or can we sign you up? Can you do this? No, it's been it's been different. She said, How can I help you? You know, jump on a call with me, come to one of my events, come to one of my paid events, see it for yourself, see how you feel. And she she really made me feel relaxed and I'm not one who's easy to part with money, you know. So I did a lot of homework and for me she's the one that I resonated with and ultimately you've got to be able to get on with the person and um, I would say do your due diligence and just you know don't don't feel rushed don't feel rushed and if you go to any of these free seminars leave your credit card at home don't be taking that shit with you man like Mike Winnett says leave your credit card at home because that's where you're going to fuck up don't take it with you yeah definitely you know <laughs> some good advice um yeah, also, uh, I see you go to the gym quite a lot. It's a big part of your life. Um, what do you say is more important to you personally, uh, your health or money? Uh, what gets more of your time? I, before, the gym and running is something that I've always done. Yeah, When I got married, that's where I got a little bit lazy, you know, putting a few pounds. And um, 
I'm still trying to shift them, so it's a bit up and down with me with my weight. But one thing I always do is I train. I train hard. Um, my daily routine, I'll tell you how my day starts. I have my alarm set for 4 a.m. every single morning. I'm out of my bed by 10 past 4, do my toilet business, whatever. And then I sit down for 15 minutes of meditation, quiet time just to wire my mind correctly. And then I sit down for another 10 minutes to make sure I pray and a gratitude prayer. So I will pray for pray for people that I know. I will pray for people that, you know, have said to me, hey, James, man, I'm going through this hard time. And I mentally keep a log of everybody who said something to me. And I pray for everybody in my prayer. And I think faith is a big thing for me because without my faith, I don't think I'll be doing some of the things I'm doing. And I don't think I'd be able to get through it. So I start my day four o'clock, 4 a.m., gratitude prayer, uh, meditation, and then I'm straight in the gym. I'm in the gym for about 4.50 every morning. We have a 24-hour gym. I meet a couple of people there regularly that we train together. And we will train hard, you know. Um, we may not be there, like, you know, there's some there's some guys at Fanatics at, you know, bodybuilding, pumping weight. We may not be doing that. We may be doing a mixture of stuff, you know. We're not in our 20s anymore. You might see us do an hour run or an hour cardio, but... We will make sure we walk out of that gym. We use a sauna suit as well. I don't know if you come across sauna suits, but we all have a sauna suit on because we want to walk out of there drenched in sweat. Because when you're starting your day like that and you're looking at this machine that's telling you, you know, you've just done 17, 18K in the morning, you sweated your nuts off and you look at your watch and you're thinking, when you leave the gym, you're thinking, it's 6.45 in the morning and I've just put some graft in already. And most people are just turning over in bed. So after that, I get home, I'm showered, I eat, and I begin my day. And you got to remember, I'm looking after a couple of kids a couple of times a week as well. So it's uh, I hate it when people say, I ain't got time. I've not got time. You know, there's always time. One thing I would say is just structure your day. Know when you, you know, if you've got kids to look after, know when you've got to do things with them. Block your times out. You know, I, I very much work on a on a spreadsheet now that has blocks of time that show me I've got a four-hour block here, a three-hour block here. I'm not wasting that shit because that time's precious to me. But coming back to your question, for me, health is most important, you know, cause, because it's like a car. You know, if, if you ain't servicing your car, it's going to start deteriorating. And it's the same thing with your health. You know, if you ain't doing something, my motto is I have to be up every morning and doing something. Even if it's a half an hour run, even if it's a walk, you got to get that in because I think it just sets your mind up for the right kind of, you know, it gives you the right mindset for the day. So, yeah, training is a huge part of my day. I may not be in the best physical shape, but, you know, I can still I can still run. I can still do most most physical things. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very big part of my day. Yeah, I think a lot of people, including myself at times, neglect the health because putting money first you know focusing on trying to build and you forget the most important things but yeah so obviously this there's also um back to property so there's obviously a few downsides in property as well um do you feel that there's ways you can protect itself from the downside um aside of education like do you have a specific criteria for a deal if it doesn't fit the criteria, do you walk away? Do you adjust it? You know, how do you protect yourself when out there looking actively for property and different deals, etc.? So I think there's a number of ways you can protect yourself. Now, one thing I do is when I've got, um, I always use a, a letting agent when I've got tenants 
But one thing I always do is, on top of that, I always have my own uh, uh, loss of rent insurance put in place on every single property. Now, given what's going on at the moment, there's always a small clause in the insurance that says we don't cover you for pandemics, which, uh, you know, granted, insurer doesn't know what's going to happen, so I'm not covered for that. But one of the things I always do is put a insurance policy in place on all our rentals so that I know um, if I've got a loss of rent... Um, I know I can claim on the insurance, um, so that kind of puts me in, uh, just gives me peace of mind and allows me to cash flow out properly and make sure um, that I'm covered if something ever goes wrong. Um, yeah, with uh, with purchases, yes, I do have a strategy. If I'm uh, carrying out a new build, I want to make sure I'm not too fussed because with a new build, because we refinance it and pull most of our money out, and with London you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to value up so high that most of the time, if I've bought the land at the right price and I've got the right contractor, I'm going to walk away with most of my money out of that deal. So I will always look at figures now. You know, I don't really pee in the wind anymore. But having said that, <laughs> earlier on today, I did just buy something at auction and it was a spare of the moment thing. Every single rule went out the window. It was the last lot of the day and I'm thinking... I looked at it on the screen and I thought, no, it's never going to sell for this. It is never, ever going to sell for this. So I just put the bid in and I walked off and I come back and the live auctioneer saying, uh, Mr. James, you are the winning bid. And I'm like, fuck, I didn't really actually want this. So yeah, we just <laughs> just bought another, just bought a three bedroom flat up in Middlesbrough somewhere. And it was, it, mate, it was, it was less than the price of fucking full focus. And you're thinking... <laughs> worst comes to worst, I can flog it on. But yeah, you know, every rule went out of the window. I just briefly looked at the legal pack. I was like, "Fuck, I haven't even read this properly, man. This could be a this could be a lemon." And but hey, yeah. So don't do that. Don't um, don't bid with emotions when you're in auction as well. I see a lot of people get carried away in auctions where they just, you know, what it is? It's a, it's, it's man syndrome. You see another man there and he's bidding. You're thinking, "Nah, man, I'm not letting that guy win." I'm going to have this, even though you know it's not going to work. But inside it, your head's telling you, or the testosterone pumping through your body's telling you, sell you another 500 quid, sell you another grand, I'll make that back. You're thinking, nah, and you know deep down it's the wrong thing to do. So one of the strategies I have at auction, <laughs> granted that it went out the window this afternoon, is to know how much you want to pay and stick to it and, and don't be afraid to walk away from a deal. Yeah, online auctions, though, they, they are a bit tricky because I did, my first online auction was last week and you can easily get carried away because you're just clicking buttons. And yeah. It's different from being in the room. When you're in the room, it's, it, even though you still can let your emotions get the better of you, it is different. Like it, It's quicker. Like These online auctions, people are getting like three or four days to make their mind up whether they want to press, oh, I want to bid on this or not. So, yeah, they're online auctions. I don't know. I don't really like them. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, you mentioned, obviously, the whole coronavirus. Um, how do you think uh, COVID-19 will affect the property market over the next 12 months? Do you know what? I've got a couple of opinions on that. Because, number one, today I was on the um, I was on Auction House London. They had 130 lots and about 90 of those sold. And I was absolutely shocked at how many people were bidding. I mean, lots were going way over. 
I looked at a particular lot in London that I wanted to buy. A guide of 375 and it went for 575. £200,000 over the guide. You know, generally you might get 100 over guide, 120. But 200 grand, I couldn't believe the amount of people that were still pumping money out and buying stuff. Whether that's because COVID is still all very new or whether that's because, you know, people just don't give a shit and they know no matter what happens in property, you're generally going to, you know, it might dip, it might go up. It's going to level itself out at some point. So I was quite shocked that even with all the scares going on, that this online auction was, was it was busy, it was pumping. Um, another thing that's kind of affected me straight away is uh, when the government announced that you don't have to uh, kind of, tenants don't have to pay their rent or they can go on a bit of a rent holiday. Within a couple of days of that, uh, I had some letting agents ringing me up saying, look, um, we ain't going to be able to pay you no rent. Um, so that's affected us here. Luckily, we were able to take a, a mortgage repayment holiday. Uh, our lender was really nice like that. So we got four mortgages with them and they gave us um, repayment holidays for three months, which means we can use that cash flow just for other things. I mean, we still got to pay it, but it just means because we're not getting any rent in, we haven't got anything immediately going out. But off the back of that, um, I didn't I didn't let my agent get away lightly on that, you know, because I thought, hold on a second, you're taking the piss out of me and I'm not having you take the piss out of me because when I rent, read the agreement, it was a it was a rent-to-rent agreement that we had set up many, many moons ago, which was very one-sided towards me. So I enforced it on him. I said, listen, it, this is what it is, COVID-19 or no COVID-19. It doesn't say in your contract anywhere that if there's a pandemic, you're going to stop paying me my rent. So suddenly they're now receiving a little bit of rent that they're forwarding to me, you know? So I think people need to be, you know, you still need to be quite firm. I know we've got a bit of a disaster going on at the moment, but don't let the agents take the piss out of you. If you've got some kind of agreement, really, really put it on them because I do feel because agents can't charge tenants fees anymore, they will try every flipping trick in the book to try and recoup as much money. And what I couldn't understand is when the Prime Minister announced it, how within days of people saying they can't afford to pay their rent when it's the last day of the month or close to the last day of the month. And the worst thing is the one house that I can see from my window, which I rent out as a HMO, I see the people going to work, they're contractors. You know, I know when they're at work because I can see them. And one of the guys told me, he goes, James, I've paid my rent this month. You know, I've paid it. And you think these agents are taking you for a ride. So I think a lot of people are affected. And I know a lot of people in the SA industry are quite badly hit by this. And I I really feel for them. I really feel for the guys that have got, you know, five, six properties and they've got guaranteed rent schemes on with landlords and they just can't fill the places. And it's not their own fault. You know, it's just because of the way things are going that they can't fill the fill the fill the properties, and uh, I think it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And even when it does get better, I think it, the market's going to be shook up for a long, long time. Um, and I think it's going to take a long, long time to recover. But off the back of that, I do think there's going to be a lot of opportunity as well. And I think opportunity will start to present itself in, I reckon, eight, twelve, sixteen weeks. We're going to see people shitting themselves and shit hitting the fan and people trying to offload. And if you've got cash in the bank, I suppose now's the time to maybe get yourself a little deal. Or Because, you know, I think it is going to be the people that are cash heavy because lenders are starting to tighten their belts and 
some have just said, no, sorry, we're not lending anymore. Yeah, a lot of lenders have started to de-risk already. Um, yeah, some said they're just not going to lend at all. But yeah, I listened to the, the yeah, most recent episode on your podcast um, about the sort of difficulties you've been having with tenants and, you know, the different letting agents and stuff. And yeah, I think a lot of people are going to just take liberties, you know. They got they got a chance, they got a way out, and they're just going to take people up on it. And they don't realise how it affects the landlord. They just, a lot of people don't care about the landlord. But, you know, I was, I'm wondering, like, if, if they don't pay rent, which is the obligation as a tenant, but there are obligations as a landlord stop, you know. Obviously, being a good landlord, you continue to manage the property and, you know, do the things that need doing. But, you know, is it, is it all one-sided? You know, what's your thoughts on that? You know, if they stop paying rent and that's their main obligation as a tenant, what's what do we do? We just stop being a landlord and just... Well, yeah, this, I mean, this was my argument with the agent. I said, okay, so due to due to the coronavirus, they can't work, they can't pay their rent. So don't ring me when the boiler packs up because due to the coronavirus, I can't get out of my house to come and fix the boiler. So you can have, you know, you can have some nice cold baths for the next three months. I really don't give a monkeys because if you're going to, if you're going to take the piss and do that, you know, there's all we can always do the same back to you. And what I don't understand is tenants don't realize this is a very short term game for them. It's just a very short term gain. And they don't even realize that it's not that they're getting away with it. They still got to pay it. As soon as the three months is over, I can tell you right now, there's going to be some Section 21s going out, and I don't think landlords are going to stop, you know, because I certainly ain't, because if I've had a loss of rent, and I can see you from my window sitting in my living room watching TV, and you're trying to tell me you can't pay me rent, no, no, I'm coming for you. I'm definitely coming for you. That's my uh, that's my living. That's my, that's you know, that's how yeah. I put food in my mouth. Yeah, especially your full-time property, that 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 is your business, and especially if you can see them going to work, and then they they, they don't want to pay rent, yeah. or whether it's the letting agent, you know. Either way, you know, it's business at the end of the day. You've got to take it seriously. You know, it's you can feel for people, but it, you need to feel for yourself as well. But, yeah, um, of course. Yeah, like, as you can see, obviously the financial markets as well. They're all over the place at the moment. You know, <laughs> um, I just. Do you, do you diversify and invest in other places other than property, like the financial markets, I don't know, other people's businesses, or are you just focused solely on property? No, do you know what? I'm not making the mistake I've done before where I have diversified and looked at a bit of this, a bit of this, and a bit of that. No, I'm not doing that. For me, it's property and just property, and when I ain't doing property, I'm educating myself on property, and when I'm not educating myself, I'm doing a podcast on property. And when I'm not doing a podcast, I'm probably I'm watching live auctions. You know, for me, this is it. As with the print business, I just consumed print and I became a master at print. That's it. For me, I'm just going to focus on this one, one, one thing. Um, you know, in the past, I've delved into a bit of shares. I've never made any money. I've always lost, always, always lost my money in shares. So for me, if I don't understand a particular investment, I don't want to go near it. If I can't touch it, if I can't feel it, if I can't see it, I'm not interested in it, you know, not at all. I need to be able to understand it. And, um, you know, it, yeah, if I don't understand it, I'm, I'm not touching it. So with like COVID-19 at the moment, um, are you going to continue to invest? Like, obviously, you mentioned you just bought the uh, the flat in Middlesbrough, so it looks like you're still actively looking um, to invest. Are you going to continue to invest from now through the whole thing, or are you going to wait, sit back, and see how it all plays out? Um if I'm honest with you, I don't completely know at the moment. I mean, like today was just a spare of the 
Like it was just a, a moment moment there. I was there and I just thought, you know, fuck man. I, afterwards I thought, Dad, James, why have you done this? You know, why? And then I just thought, okay, you know, fine, it's done. But I have got, I've got a number of properties under offer at the moment, you know, so I don't know what's going to happen. And I know these landlords have been, sorry, these owners of these properties have been holding out for higher offers. I do feel with COVID going on now, it might actually work in my favour in the sense that I might be able to get these for less than I've offered because they might be looking to offload. Um, but I don't want to put myself in any position where I've used every bit of my cash flow and then I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs thinking, oh shit, what am I going to do now? So I think I'm going to take a step back. Even the one I bought today, I, you know, I, I won't, probably won't even be able to get in there for four months, five months, six months. And I haven't even seen it. I've only seen pictures. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to get in there, but you just think when you're, when you're in the London market and you're used to playing with half a million pounds, three quarters of a million pounds, suddenly when you buy something for that, like 20 odd grand, you just think, Ah, uh, you know what? I can I can let it sit for a while. I wouldn't, you know. I treat every single deal the same, but it's just not got the same level of risk for us at the moment. Um, but I would say to anybody out there, you know, don't um, don't let this stop you, because I know it certainly hasn't stopped a few people. I mean, I was speaking to Ted earlier, and Ted is, you know, he's he's actively still doing his things. He's he's not stopping. You know, I feel it's a temporary blip. Yeah, well, I was at the auction with Ted last week and. Uh, when he bought something and the same as what you're saying that pretty much every single lot went you know there was there were still people actively paying some a lot paying more than I, I personally would have paid for a lot of things and yeah you know so it didn't seem like it took a hit we, we went down to the office uh, he got invited down I went down with him um, we thought we could pick up some post-auction deals but everything went it was just you know it was just no one was really didn't seem scared at all they just continued to just buy it as if it was a normal day so you know um i was going to ask you um what's your plans over the next 12 months but because of uh, the coronavirus i'll extend that uh three years so what's sort of your plans over the next three years you know the big goals you want to achieve and where you want to be yes yeah, so my uh my plan is i want to have uh I want to build the rent roll to £35,000 a month. That's my next five-year plan. And that involves around, uh, probably around 80, about 80 rooms. Say When I say rooms, class of HMO is six rooms, another HMO is five rooms. We probably need about 80 to 83 rooms um, a month let to achieve that kind of figure. And we're using the Northeast as our main investment spot because that's where we invest for cash flow. Down here in London, we invest for capital appreciation and to hold everything we hold down here. Up there, we hold as well, but we know we ain't going to get as much capital appreciation. So one of the goals is to get a rent roll of £35,000, um, grow the portfolio to £10 million, um, in the next five years. Um, and then one of my personal goals is I actually want to I want to build my own house. So, you know, I think uh, it's been a, a long time coming for my wife poor woman's had to put up with me for this long you know um i've promised her a house and we had a nice house and we moved out of it because we needed to rent it so we're in a flat at the moment so it's uh it's not fair on her because she gets to see it firsthand she sees all these lovely places we do and she doesn't get to experience it herself we've got a tiny kitchen we've got a fairly big flat and it's a nice in the nice part of town but it's just not functional when you've got you know two little kids running around so yeah one of the goals there is to um self-build so source of land 
and actually design our own house and have it exactly how we want it um, and pretty much just you know let her design how she wants it internally and um, yeah and then I think once we hit those figures that that is it for me I, I don't really want to carry on going you know what I mean I just I want to get to a point and think okay that's the goal finish I'm done and I say it to my boys I say once you guys are you know my oldest is 10 and my youngest is going to be 4 and I say once you guys are sorted for yourself you know and you are old enough me and your mum are off that's it we're done we're going to sell everything and you're getting nothing and we're gone we're going to chill buy ourselves a little boat and just sail around the country and just mooch about and you know just relax I think you've got to set yourself a goal and I think you need to know when to think you know what that's it I'm done I'm stopping I want to live my life yeah that's that's serious discipline because a lot of people they, they, including myself you sort of hit targets and then it's like that was the target and then it's like no no I want more I want more I want more but sometimes you, you, you're right you have to have a goal you hit the goal and then you need to, you need to enjoy it otherwise you know you're going to work yourself you, to death so. do you know what it is D I think Covid puts it into reality yeah like you know you're thinking now if you caught like, one thing that really gets me up I'm scared for, for my children in the sense that I was listening the other day on the TV and they said if somebody gets ill you get taken to the hospital on your own your family can't come with you you know you have to recover on your own or you die on your own and then they do the funeral on your own so you're just on your own you know and I thought to myself if you're in a position like that money don't mean shit targets don't mean shit nothing all you want to do is you want life and you want to live you know you're not looking for your next deal you're not thinking oh you know what let me go beat that guy up over two thousand pound on the offer that i put on that house because at that moment in time all you want is your health and it comes back to what you said for me health is number one over the wealth because if you ain't got the health you ain't got no wealth and i think corona's really really put that into into effect in the sense that you think you know what if you caught it you're dying on your own you're out of here I could deal with it if it was me who got ill, but if one of my little babies got ill and had to go through the whole hospital thing on their own, that w- I don't know what that would do to me as a person. And it's got me thinking, you know, and I think people need to reevaluate their goals in a time like this, you know, and take this shit seriously because it is serious. You know, you if you want to, more and more people are getting ill by day. So just take this time to weigh up your own personal goals and sit there and work out what is actually important in life. You know, we moan about so much shit when half of it isn't actually, doesn't even matter. You know, and I think something like this, a world pandemic, really puts it into effect where you think, you know what, I worry about this, I moan about this, I moan about this, I haven't got this. And it's just, it's just nonsense. It really is just nonsense. Yeah, I totally agree, mate. You know, it it does put things into perspective. And um, yeah, so early on you mentioned your daily routine. Um, is there any apps you use to stay organised? I certainly do, yeah, yeah. So, like with, I think, most people, I use the Google Suite for um, Google Docs, Google Sheets, so I can access it anywhere. Dropbox, Google Drive. Um, I use Trello. use Trello to organise everything. Even when I have a coaching call, I take all my notes down on Trello. When I'm at a networking event, I start a new board. At the networking event, I'll put all my notes in there. I used to use notebooks, but I just find with notebooks, they get kind of pushed to the side and you don't really look at them again because you've got your phone in your hand all the time. Trello's quite nice. It's like a modern-day notebook. Um, use a less annoying 
CRM system just to record all calls with agents and bits like that. Um, and Zoom. Use Zoom a lot as well. Started to use Zoom yeah. a hell of a lot, just meeting up with people online, having a conversation. And something I'm starting at the end of this week, actually, is the, the virtual property party. So basically what it is is you just meet up with someone online like, and you just talk property and you just have a drink. So yeah, that's a sick idea. Yeah, that's a sick idea. Just good. a virtual property party, yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, what about books, mate? Like, what sort of books um, do you feel has played a big part in the journey? Um, I think um, one of the biggest. I'll show you actually. I've got it down here. Is okay. I think this was a great book, Compound Effect. You know, yes. doing small things every day just you know adds up to um, something massive. You know, people complain about putting on loads of weight. Me being one of those. Now, it's me eating a little bit of shit every single day that compounds across the year to making you look like a balloon, you know? If you did good habits every single day, little good habits every single day, they come off and become something massive. So the compound effect was um, a, a very, very good book for me. Um, this one as well. How to Win Friends and Influence People. Another, another great book. Um, and another source, I'll tell you, another, another source of great information, I find, is the YPM magazine every month. Yeah. Big up these guys, man. The, yeah. This is this is just, this is full of so much information. Yeah, mate, to be honest, <laughs> the first two books, unbelievable. And yeah, if you want to read a good magazine and stay up to date with things, they put some stuff in there that... You know, it's gold dust, to be honest. You know, when you're learning property and stuff, they put some great stuff in there. They have some great articles about some people doing some great things. So, And yeah, what you like, find is most of the people that are mentioned in there, they're really nice. I mean, I've reached out to a lot of them, just connected with a lot of them. So one thing I would say to people starting out, don't be afraid to just, you know, if you see someone on Facebook doing good things or Instagram doing good things, just send them a message. You know, I get people messaging me. And I'm so, so receptive to having a conversation. I had a, I had a conversation with a guy, I think, in, in, he's in Leicester, he invests in Leicester. We had an hour-long conversation. I don't mind giving someone my time for an hour because I don't want him making the mistakes I did. I don't ever want someone to lose 65 grand or ever however much it was because some people might not be able to recover from that, you know? And I'd rather be able to give you the advice that I've been through or some of the things that I've been through to save you that heartache and save you that pain. So yeah, don't be afraid. The network's massive, you know. I think a lot of people in property they feel the same, you know. If you're if you're an active active investor, I think a lot of people want to connect with new people, help people, and it's the way we all push forward together. And I think I think it's a decent community involved in property. But so you just mentioned that obviously the guy messaged you. Um, how can people connect with you online? Oh well, I'm on uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, you can search me James Sahota. I think it's James H Sahota. Um, I'm that very handsome Indian guy with a beard, as you can see. <laughs> you can catch me again on fa on Facebook, uh, James Sahota. And like you said earlier, I've got my own podcast, which is the J2 Hub podcast. Just jump onto Apple Podcasts or Shopee, um, uh, Spotify and just search James Sahota and I'll come up. And uh, I try to I try to put out content every single week and I've got some really, really good bits coming up with some, some great guys. You probably know I've got Napa coming up on the podcast. Oh. Oh, that's so a, a, you had um, Alfie on there as well. That's, oh, Alfie Best. Yeah. Now, look, yeah. now, now, I'll tell you a story about that. Now, I've been a massive fan of Alfie for a while. 
and I've met him at a few places. And again, I just reached out to him. I said, hey, can I come and do a podcast with you? And, you know, his marketing team were like, yeah, we get so many people asking us. And he asked me loads of questions, asked me my background story. Turns out Alfie grew up two miles from where I live. So there was that kind of connection. And uh, um, it's great. It's great knowing Alfie now, you know, because I can I message him. And he offers up advice. I've jumped on a few Zoom calls with him. And it's just like, you know, I've got my first almost billionaire mate. You know, it's, it's, it's out of this world, some of the stuff that guy does. And uh, we're due to go out for a beer together and all sorts. And that's just off one podcast. You know, just connecting, just having the balls to ask. Yeah, mate. It's, and it's a great episode as well, you know. Oh, thanks, and, mate. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, the J2 Hub podcast, you need to go and see it. I'll put all the links in the show notes for your, for your socials anyway. But there's some you guys some great information off there. To be honest, yours and Tej's are the only two real property I listen to, mate. Seriously, like it's good, great content, and I hope other people follow you and listen to it as well. But yeah, mate. To be honest, it's been a pleasure. You know, I was looking forward to this, and I appreciate you know, it, good, mate. You know, it'd be good to catch up again in six months or so. See how you're getting on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's been good, mate. But yeah, we you, you told me to make sure I had one thing ready for this podcast. Yeah, so yep. I got my beer ready. I got my beer here as well. Corona toast. <laughs> Cheers, mate. So you seen and, it um, here first, the yeah, YPP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been great, mate. Yeah, like I said, it's a pleasure. I hope to catch up with you soon, but we'll stay in touch anyway. So yeah, I appreciate that, D. Cheers, man. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and visit our website www.theludlowstreet.com to stay up to date with our latest news and updates.